Worthy is the Lamb. He is holy. And we are commencing this week, Holy Week. It's a week where we, we focus in on the last week of Christ's life and we take, take home to our hearts what he's done for all of us. And this week, as you've already heard, we have several things happening at the church, and I hope that you'll participate in that. I particularly want to underline this Thursday night, because we'll have Dr. David Sarad from Jews for Jesus sharing in detail what a Passover meal involves and how that Passover points us to Jesus Christ. His presentation's called Christ in the Passover. That's going to be right here. And I'm looking forward to learning a lot about the Passover and a lot about Jesus on Thursday night. And of course, we've got Easter coming up. I just, I just can't hardly wait till this Easter. I think back to a year ago. One year ago, the city asked us to have no more than 10 people gathered. And so, on Easter, a year ago, we had 10 people in the venue and we live-streamed our Easter service. Some of you remember that. Holly, I see you nodding. You remember that Easter. It was, it was great in its own way. It was a time of celebrating Jesus Christ as Lord in spite of whatever we might see happening around us. We knew Jesus Christ was Lord and we proclaimed that and it was, it was blessed. But this Easter, this Easter feels like a resurrection from the dead. <laughs> this Easter's taking us to a new place. And I am so excited that we're turning that corner and we're finding our people coming back and we are going to celebrate this Easter like we haven't maybe ever before. So I hope that you'll be here. I hope you'll invite someone else to be here. You know, sometimes my heart is stirred when I think about people in our world who don't know Christ and I know I absolutely know that Jesus Christ is the answer for them and all the problems that they face. And families are broken and people are addicted and, and there are so many problems that people face. I mean, we could go on and on describing the problems, but for each one, at its very core, Jesus Christ is the answer for it. And we're talking about Jesus Christ whenever we gather, but never more centrally than on Easter Sunday. So I hope that you'll be here and I hope that you'll bring someone else. Now, today we're going to talk about the Passover. That's why I wanted to emphasize what's coming this Thursday, because we are going to look at what Luke says about the Passover that Jesus shared with his disciples. It was a holy time for Jesus. He himself said that he deeply desired to share this Passover meal with his disciples. And this was in Jerusalem during that last week of his life. Last week, Blake set things up leading into this Palm Sunday as he talked about the Lord's entry into Jerusalem. Well, he's now in Jerusalem, but there is danger around every corner. There are people who want Jesus dead. The Lord knows that, and he knows he's going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. But before he goes to the cross, he wants to share this Passover with his disciples, interpret its deepest meaning so that they could better understand what he was going to do for them and for all of us. And so he made arrangements, secret arrangements, 
before he ever entered into Jerusalem to see to it that he could celebrate the Passover with his disciples. A room was selected. It was arranged. It was prepared. And that's the passage we're going to read this morning, where Jesus sends his disciples to prepare this last Passover meal. It's in Luke chapter 22. You might want to turn there. The scripture will be on the screen if you want to read it there. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. That would get their attention because typically only women carried water in that culture at that time. So he says, you're going to see a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show, show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to the man who betrays him. So the Passover was observed every year by the Jewish people. And it was a time that they would look back to the Exodus. That time when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and eventually into the land of promise. The Exodus became a story of redemption in which Israel lived its life. They saw God as the Redeemer, the God who chose them, who made them his people. In fact, in covenant with them, God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. So whenever the Jews would share this Passover meal, the host of the meal would explain how each element points back to that first Passover when Israel was redeemed from Egypt. It was a meal of remembrance, not because it was just about the past that they had to remember, but because it was a past that should shape their life in the present and give them hope for the future, because every Jew looked forward to the coming of Messiah. And there was going to be another meal, a messianic feast, when God had established his kingdom in the earth. And so this yearly Passover 
a meal of remembrance, looked back to the Exodus and forward to redemption. Now Jesus is sharing this Passover with his disciples. And his role is to explain the meaning, the significance of each element of this meal. But interestingly, he expands the meaning of the Passover and he actually relocates it, recenters it on himself. Because he says to them, This is my body. And then he says, giving them the cup, he says, This is the new covenant in my blood. Only Luke tells us that Jesus uses the term new covenant. He gives them the bread in the other gospels and they take the bread. This is his body given for them. He gives them the cup. It's given for them. It is the blood of the covenant. But Luke tells us it's the blood of the new covenant. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The significance of the new covenant. See, when, when Moses led Israel out of Egypt, he led them through the Red Sea to the foot of Mount Sinai. And of course, at Mount Sinai, Moses received the law. He spoke to Israel at the foot of the mountain, reading to them the entire book of the covenant. And Israel said to them, we will obey God's laws. And because of that, they said, we will be God's people. God will be our God. That was their commitment. Sacrifices were offered. And Moses took half the blood of that sacrifice and poured it out at an altar that was built at the foot of Mount Sinai. The other half he poured into a bowl. And then he went and he sprinkled the blood on all the people, telling them, this is the blood of the covenant. See, a covenant's an agreement. It's where two parties come together and they join in some way, some particular way. But this covenant is God joining with his people. And again, God saying, you will be my people and I will be your God. That's the covenant. And Israel was eager for it. And they said, yes, we will obey. But what do we see in the history of Israel? Do we see Israel obeying God? Are they faithful to God? No, they're not faithful. They turn after idols again and again. They fail God until finally judgment falls and they're taken off into exile. And it may look at that point as if there is no hope for Israel, as if God has cast them off forever. But the prophet Jeremiah who was deeply stirred by his people's sin. Sometimes he was furious with them for their sins, but he was always passionately concerned, desiring the salvation of these people he loved so deeply. The prophet Jeremiah said that God was not finished with his sinning people. Instead, he says, God will establish a new covenant. It's the only place in the whole Old Testament we see the term new covenant. It's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesies that God is going to establish a new covenant with his people, a covenant that will go beyond the covenant made under Moses because the people didn't obey the covenant that Moses made with them. Instead, they disobeyed. They rebelled against God. So God is going to overcome their sin with yet a greater act of grace. 
God is going to take it upon himself to do for them what the sinful people will not do for themselves. And by extension, do for us what sinners like us won't do for ourselves. Let me read to you the passage from Jeremiah. It is a striking passage. It's extraordinary. And this is the passage from which Jesus gets his language in Luke. A new covenant in my blood. It's Jeremiah 31, 31. Listen to Jeremiah's words. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. In other words, it's not going to be like this covenant that came through Moses because the people didn't fulfill their side of the bargain. They weren't faithful. So I can't just re-up on that same covenant. Something new has to take place. Jeremiah tells us a new covenant will be brought into existence. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Jesus is there with his disciples. It was customary to explain the meaning of the Passover. Jesus gives it a new meaning. It's a meaning that centers in him. This is my body. This is my blood. When he hands him the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. Not the covenant made with Moses, the new covenant that Jeremiah talked about. A covenant that speaks first and foremost about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Not just the forgiveness of some little sin, some small fault, but right here, I will forgive their wickedness, it says in Jeremiah. I will forgive their wickedness, the evil that they do, the harm that they do, the darkness in their life. In spite of all that, I'm going to forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. We're going to be sharing the Lord's Supper in a moment, and we'll focus on the body and the blood of Christ. What I want you to think about is that this establishes the new covenant where our sins, even our darkest sins, are forgiven, and God remembers them no more. Now, you might say, well, God remembers them. God doesn't forget anything. Of course, God knows about them. And I suppose, strictly speaking, you're right. But when, when the Scripture says he forgets, it means that he puts them aside. He covers them up. He no longer takes them into account. They cease to be relevant. They have been forgiven and obliterated. It's an old issue. It's ancient history. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't come between you and God. It is forgotten in that sense. 
You come to God and your sins are forgiven because Christ has atoned for them. How often do we come to God and we're thinking, oh, God, and, you know, forgive me. We bring that same old thing back to him again. And what does God do? Well, I'll tell you what I do when people come to me. Let me tell you what happens to me a lot. In fact, what I'm about to describe, probably somebody here has done before. So don't be embarrassed. I'm not really calling you out. I'm just telling you what's happened to me a lot. There are people who will come and talk to me at a service, and we just have a nice conversation, and I don't think anything about it. And then over the week, they'll think, you know, I don't know, I shouldn't have said it like that. You know, he may have been, he may have been offended by what I said. Now, you understand, they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't say anything wrong. But they, you know how that gets in your head sometimes? You think, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. People do that all the time. I don't know. They'll think, oh, I shouldn't have said that. He'll think, I might, I, he'll think that I thought his sermon was boring or something like that, you know. And they'll come to me the next service, and they say, listen, I just want to apologize for what I said last week. And my honest response is usually something like, what did you say last week? And, and the reason I respond like that is it wasn't a blip on my radar screen. I wasn't offended. They didn't do anything wrong. It was all in their head because, you know, they thought, oh, well, maybe it was taken this way or that way. That happens to me quite often, believe it or not. And I always appreciate the person doing it because I know, you know, it just shows the, the goodness of their heart. But generally, it's like, listen, I would forgive you, except there's nothing to forgive. We're good. No problem here. Now, in some ways, this isn't the greatest illustration because I'm talking about people who haven't done anything wrong. And I, not only did I not forget it, I, I never even noticed it. But there is one way I think it, it, it illustrates what happens when we come to God with something on our conscience that has already been atoned for in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is, God is, in a sense oblivious to it. Now, I understand it doesn't happen exactly like this, but to make the point, you know, you come to God and you bring it, you bring this same thing to him again, thinking that it's still not forgiven. And what is God supposed to do? He's forgiven our wickedness and he remembers not our sins. So what does he do? Oh God, I'm so sorry. And he thinks, oh, I'm going to have to look that up. What was that they did again? You know, I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to figure out what is it they're talking about? Obviously, God doesn't react literally in that way. But the point I'm making is we're making an issue. God has already dealt with it as far as he's concerned. That's what Christ has accomplished in the new covenant. Do you see that? Do you see that? He has forgiven us in our sins. He remembers no more. No more. We come to him and he goes, oh, come on, give it a rest, will you? I've heard about this one enough. I'd, I'd forgotten all about it till you reminded me of it. I don't know exactly how God relates to it, but I know this. I know you need to trust that the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. Amen. But there's another aspect to this, and that is that in this new covenant that Jesus references, there's a change on the inside of us. 
The law is written on our minds and in our hearts. You see, the problem Israel had was this. Like all the rest of humanity, they were sinners. They were given the law, but the law was outside their being. It was something that sought to impose itself on them, but, but they themselves were sinners. So inevitably, they disobeyed the law. It didn't work. So what God does for us, we can't do it ourselves, God does is he takes the law and he imprints it upon our very being. That's all part of the new birth. There's a transformation that comes by the Holy Spirit. It's at the very core of our being. We are changed by the grace of God. That's why there's hope for everyone, because the grace of God changes us from the inside out. Now, I know, I know, I know that we still struggle. We struggle with habits. We struggle with temptations. I get that. But what you have to understand is if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, the blessing is deep and the problem is shallow. The blessing is deep. You have been changed on the inside. You're not the person you were. You need to learn to walk in the grace of God, and that takes time, but you can walk in the grace of God because you have been changed. The problem is shallow. That is, it has to do with habits and ideas that have to be changed, but you are a different person by the grace of God. And so we are forgiven and our sins forgotten, and we're changed within. And now we've got the the, the emotional space to begin the process of trying to become more and more like Christ, knowing that God is for us and not against us. God's going to encourage us, not slap us down when we make mistakes. That's so important to understand. And as Jeremiah says in this prophecy, he says, when this new covenant comes, you're not going to have to tell people, oh, you need to know the Lord. Because everyone who experiences what God does in this new covenant, they're going to know the Lord. They're going to know the Lord personally. Which means I don't have to tell everybody in this room to know the Lord because if you know Jesus, you know the Lord. He's in your life. This is a transforming truth, and everyone can experience it. You may have come here with almost no hope whatsoever for you, your life, thinking that there's, there's no path out of the darkness in which you live right now. That's not true. That's not true. Whatever you've done, you can be forgiven. God can remove it to where it ceases to be an issue in your relationship with God. And in that new relationship, he fills you with his spirit and changes you within. And that becomes, begins a process. And you can know God. Have you ever thought about that? You can know God? I mean, really know God. Oh, it's not like the way we know each other because we can't see God. So it does take faith. But you can truly know God. And that's the offer that Jesus makes. Now, we're going to share the bread and the cup together. We've got these little packets. That's all a concession to COVID. We got we to gotta deal with that for just a little bit longer. You might want to start taking away the cellophane now. But we do this in remembrance of Jesus. 
not just remembering what he did, but looking forward to what he will do when he comes and establishes the messianic kingdom and we feast with him in everlasting glory. We remember it in order to appropriate it. And so something should happen this morning. It's not just a matter of knowing what the bread represents and the cup represents. It's not that. Something should happen. By faith, we should appropriate that this signifies what Christ did to establish a new covenant of forgiveness and inner transformation, a new relationship where grace triumphs over our sin, a covenant in which we know the Lord as we eat and drink in faith, something should happen as we reflect on these things. Let's take a moment to reflect. I want to ask you to bow your head with me. And just for the next few moments, I want you to center your thoughts on Christ, on his atoning work, on the grace he has poured out. Bring yourself to him including whatever sins might trouble your conscience. Bring it all to him, knowing that he'll receive you. And so we have the bread as Jesus said, his body given for all of us. Let's see. And the new covenant in Christ's blood. Let's drink. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have done what we could not do for ourselves that we experience life because death has been put to death through your death on the cross. And we pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us to take this to heart and to live in light of it. We thank you for the grace that has been poured out on us in countless ways. But Lord, we know it all goes back to the cross and we praise you for it.